Hope for the best, but expect the worst is to review a new podcast. What's going on, y'all? I'm your co-host, DJ. And I'm your co-host, Evan. And this is the podcast where we go through the filmographies of our favorite movie makers and talk about their works through a modern lens. And today we're looking at The Twelve Chairs, one of his lesser-known films. I had never seen this before. I had never, never heard of it. Like, I, as I was looking through his filmography when preparing for this, I realized, like, whoa, I really do know, like, so much of his stuff. Yeah. And then we I saw that one. Mel I like, Brooks. I don't think we've actually said oh, the name Mel Brooks yet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we are going through the filmography of Mel Brooks on this wing of the podcast. And, you know, everyone knows Mel Brooks's, you know, huge movies. Uh, I know a lot more than, like, the typical ones. Like, pe- most people would be, like, Blazing Saddles and uh, 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 Young Producers, Young Frankenstein, yeah, yeah. Robin Hood Men in Tights, but I, I, uh, we, History of the World Part 1. Yeah, yeah, in our household, we watch all those shit. We watch <laughs> all the way up to Life Stinks in, like, 1993 or something like that. So High Anxiety. Uh, oh, yeah, and High Anxiety, uh, Silent Movie, all those, all those shit. Um, but, but neither of us had heard of the 12 chairs. Yeah, I had never seen this one. So as I was looking through the filmography, I was like, huh, I wanted, like, I kind of wanted to know how this one would hit us as people who, like, you know, we know all the other ones by rote, so we're probably going to be biased towards them. But, like, this movie that, like, we have no, like, previous impression of, like, how is this going to hit us, you know? So, I mean, I, I want to know, what did you think? <laughs> I, I could see why it was his lesser known. I could see why I hadn't heard of it. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't, like, a horrendously bad no. movie. I mean, no, it no, was no. Mel Brooks. It was certainly competent. But it was not what you think of when you think of Mel Brooks's brilliance. It, it actually almost felt like somebody trying to make a Mel Brooks movie when they were not Mel Brooks. Well, it seems like, <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it seems like a normal movie, but punctuated by the Mel Brooksiness of who like, he is, And it was you know? like, a, it felt watered down. It felt like a watered mm. down. And I think what it was is that, you know, so many of his movies are parodies or pastiches. And this was the epic Russian you know, Dr. Zhivago-esque um, mm. film. And I think it just didn't quite work. Uh, yeah, I, it was very... I, the thing that struck me was that it was oh. very slow. Um, and I don't just mean the cinematic pacing, but literally whenever the characters were talking, they felt like their direction had been speak slowly. The dialogue wasn't as snappy as yeah, a lot it of was, movies there, are. You are correct. They were speaking very, very slowly. Even Mel Brooks... Uh, who had a, a rather small part and then just kind of disappeared after the beginning of the movie, um, was speaking, like, everything he said was very slow, and it kind of messed up the comedic timing because it was a little too slow for the jokes to land. And, and you know what it is? It's like, I think there is, like, a, a level of, like, yeah, him trying to get his footing as, like, a director mm-hmm. with his style. Because, like, I see the the Brooke-isms, but, like, it doesn't seem as, like, mm-hmm. tight. Like it, well, and, yeah. I, and I think a lot of it was trying to go for that epic Russian movie style where, um, okay, so I'm going to be a nerd real quick. Okay, okay. Because I have something to say yeah, about... Go, go, go off, <laughs> So um, I, I think I might have mentioned on the podcast before that I used to be an actor, and the acting school that I went to exists as a middle finger to Stanislavski and The Method. <laughs> and, um, and one thing that my teacher was really fond of saying was uh, pointing out was that Chekhov, um, the playwright, a lot of his plays were put on by Stanislavski, the creator of The Method, um, if you've ever heard of method acting. And Chekhov wrote Stanislavski letters all the time about how he was doing it wrong. Hmm. And Chekhov was always saying stuff like, 
you know, this is supposed to be a comedy. This act should have taken 18 minutes and you made it take 45 minutes and you're making all these long pauses and you're putting in cricket sound effects and this is ridiculous. And um, and I feel like a lot of Russian, uh, you know, of, of productions of Chekhov plays and Russian, you know, that sort of genre of big epic Russian movie um, has gotten, uh, you know, it has this sort of mm, habit of being sort of ponderous and slow and heavy, and it's and it's tiresome, frankly. But, but I think like uh, from like Mel Brooks making a movie, like being the one making this type of movie, they, there is this element of like if you look at it through like how 1970 audiences probably would have looked at it, like this is probably like relatively irrelevant. I mean, uh, not irrelevant, but irreverent of a, of a film. Like the way the narrative kind of goes. It wasn't an original screenplay. It was based on a 1928 Russian novel. Uh, and I have not read that novel, so I don't know what, mm. if anything, you know, was changed about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that he was definitely trying to poke fun at that big, heavy, lugubrious. Yeah, by having this Bugs Bunny sort of mm. Looney Tunes wacky angle to it. You right, know? and and the trick is that in order to make it clear what he was parodying, he had to have some of that heaviness and slowness in there. And I think it just didn't work. I think it was a you know, I think it was just a miss. But this so this you could say this movie is him him figuring out parody. <laughs> I mean, maybe not. I mean, I think. Think that it wasn't necessarily that he didn't know how to do parody, but it's yeah. just that this was a really difficult uh, genre to parody. Yeah, like I mean, if you look at Mel Brooks' movies, like they're not—they don't go for typical like things. Mm -hmm. If you notice, like they're oddly like like when you think about it, like I mean, I guess the western was probably a bigger thing at the time, but like silent movie, like mm -hmm. the idea that he did that movie in the seventies with like yeah. who's even thinking about silent movies in those tropes, you know? But yeah, he and, went for that and still made it work. And the know? young Frankenstein that he insisted on it being in black and white and yeah. doing that homage to that you know classic Hollywood. Um, so yeah, I mean, and the thing is, it's not a bad movie it's just that you know when the bar is mel brooks's greatest films <laughs> right. that's a really high bar and yeah. so compared to some you know compared to the producers compared to young frankenstein it's not as funny um that said like there there were some enjoyable moments yeah i think there are great character moments yeah i think the uh ron moody uh, as Vorobyaninov. Vorobyaninov. Yes, is incredible <laughs> as the Looney Tunes uh, madcap character who's running around like this, like old man who's still like like relatively spry and like getting around and like trying to you know have his yeah and, way he, and, and he becomes you know. more and more sort of feral as the film yes it's he starts insane. out he starts out being this you know. Um, being this sort of uh, like upper, upper, upper crust, you know, it's post-revolution, so he's not technically a, an aristocrat anymore, but he's this yeah. former upper crust, you know, wearing a nice suit and everything. And in fact, they show a flashback to him looking even more, like, mm -hmm. uh, a dashing and, yeah. like, younger and, like, you know, more decked out. And then um, by the end of it, he's just this feral oh, creature. Oh, man. It, boy, by that ending. Oh. <laughs> and, and there's Dom DeLuise. I do not care for Dom DeLuise. I find his sort of, like, whimpering shtick really he, irritating. Yeah, he is someone who I, needs to be reined in. <laughs> like, I just, like, Dom DeLuise, like, his whole shtick 
is is like no 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 like just making these noises and being weird and and, and, and I, I just like but like I like the noises but I, don't know. I do I, realize I just find him incredibly irritating. I don't find him funny at like, all. Like he he's one of those things where it's like I like like the aesthetic of what his noises are, but like it needs to be reined in in the same way that like I like Jim Carrey, but I realize that like. It, you know, if you wanted to use a Jim Carrey in a smart way, you don't let him just do whatever he wants. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I can <laughs> and there's see a couple that. scenes in this is... movie where it seemed like he just was allowed to go bonkers and go completely Chris Farley, and it was just like, okay, what's happening here? Yeah, you know? I mean, I can see that, and I will say, like, obviously, whether he is funny at all is a matter of taste. But you know, but yeah, inarguably, even if you like his brand of, of comedy, it. It was overused. It was stretched thin here. Yeah. Uh, and Frank Langella, uh, I wanted to bring this up because I saw at one point uh, that originally Mel Brooks wanted to have uh, Gene Wilder play that part oh, of the dashing. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Ostop Bender, who mm-hmm. was, you know, you see him at the beginning, you know, yeah. schmoozing chicks and getting away with it and all, and all that type of stuff. And I, I, like, yeah, as soon as, like, I saw that, like, I immediately, like, could see the performance mm-hmm. that Gene Wilder would have given it. I was like, he would have blown this shit out of the fucking yeah, water. Yeah, now I don't think Langella was bad. I no, think, no, he was very I, good. I think, and he was also the eye candy. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I think that the, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like they were all given the direction of speak slowly. And, yeah. and it just feels very forced in a, in a lot of times but but he still brings some charm he still brings some humor despite that sort of pacing issue yeah yeah um so i guess we should just real quick recap the the plot is yeah. pretty straightforward the plot is that uh this old woman's dying and and this is you know in 1927 after the russian revolution this old right, woman right. who's formerly a a uh, a you know aristocrat is dying and she calls her son-in-law to her deathbed um, and tells him that she had sewn all her jewels into one of this set of 12 chairs. Uh, and so her son-in-law uh, goes off to find the chairs and at the same time, her priest, who was there to hear her deathbed confession, Father mm-hmm. Fyodor, who's Dom DeLuise's character, uh, also knows about it. Yeah. And so he's going and looking. And then... And I feel like they skipped that, because I feel like I never... We never saw her actually telling him that. Well, we do. I mean, I think it was just inferred that okay. he's there to hear the death. I, it just felt like confession. I just missed something. I, I think we were just supposed to infer that, oh, okay, that he's okay. there to hear the deathbed confession. And so yeah. the priest knows... The son-in-law knows, and then the son-in-law goes to uh, to to his old uh, former, you know, former estate to uh, to find the chairs, and then somehow in there, uh, I believe that, and th- I think I, I kind of missed the specifics of this, um, but. Mel Brooks has a pretty small role as this as the former servant. Oh, I know what happens uh, at okay. this moment. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Tikon is the servant played by Mel Brooks. He's sleeping on uh, on a broom. Like, you can tell he's, like, you know, a servant. And he's, like, sort of, like, taking a nap real quick. And Frank Langella's character comes across him. And he happens to look over to see, uh, you know, inside where uh, the the servant Tikon is uh, uh, serving in front of. And he sees that there's a cool-looking bed in there. He wants to see if he can, like, get in there. So he... Uh, 
does a funny little like trip up thing of the broom that that Mel Brooks's character is sleeping on and acts like he's catching him like oh old friend oh I caught you before you were about to have quite the stumble there and it's just like hey for you know for helping you out for the trouble you know how about you help me out with some lodgings you know I happen to be a traveler and I'm trying to like find a place to stay and you know would you happen to have a bed and and you know uh uh uh, Mel Brooks's character acting just the most stereotypically Russian that he can because like he's just like a oh, bed in Russia wah, 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 don't make me laugh yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah yeah well the we question were... is just how Bender finds out and I think it's just that w- what we see is that Bender comes across uh, Vorobyaninov uh, sitting oh, somewhere yeah. with a note and he catches hold of the note and that's how he finds out about the yeah, chairs. It, okay, so it, it's a little contrived because, yeah, Franklin just kind of comes into his house. Yeah, that's what was, that's what <laughs> he, was a hanging, little confusing oh, about. yeah, okay, so Tikon is hanging out with the servant because, you know, they, they're gonna go get drunk because he yeah. he's like, oh, you're you're an endearing character, let's hang out for a bit. Tikon is the servant at the place where Vorobyaninov, uh used to live, which is mm-hmm. where Tikon is still, like, dusting up stuff. And... He happens to just be hanging out with him in his chambers where Vodobyanov happens to be doing some some bookings to figure out where things are. And then all of a sudden it's just like, hey, sir, uh, who I'm not gonna like feel awkward about just being in your fucking house. <laughs> what, what are you doing there? And yeah, yeah, that's kind of how the plot kind of yeah, goes. Yeah, so somehow Bender finds out about the chairs, sees a note that, that Vodobyanov has about it. And uh, threatens him into letting him in on it. Because, oh yeah, he threatens to go to the um, secret police. Right, because you know this the the fact that they are in you know early the early Soviet Union you know is very relevant because um, you're not supposed to be hoarding jewels. You know mm. you're not supposed to have a lot of uh, valuable private. Actually, um, so Bender uh, blackmails Vorobyaninov, and they begin to look for the chairs together as a team. Um, and there's some there's some funny stuff where uh, oh, pr- pretty early on they find out that the priest is also looking for the chairs because he oh knows. yes, and there's a great moment where <laughs> he, where Dom DeLuise tries to like get away before uh, Vorobyaninov notices him, and so he's like he's hustling out of the house, and then he's dr- dressed as an old woman. Yes, well, no, 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 that's before uh, no, yeah. no, before that, before that. Oh, uh, yeah, earlier yeah. when he first finds out the confession, Vorobyaninov oh, doesn't right, know right, anything. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, he like runs over to this uh, this uh, gate that's like about like. Shoulder, shoulder high. I mean, no, not shoulder high, uh, about waist high. And uh, he tries to like put his uh, leg over it and just like run real quick. But then the 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 uh, the door of it like detaches, and he like it's just in a completely hilarious sort of looking move that just uh, shows it's so awkward where he can't get away from the guy who's, who happens to notice him. Like, excuse me, sir. And he's like, ah, hey, uh, have courage, uh, and you know, don't feel bad about your mom dying or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so. Basically, what follows is a series of of madcap adventures. Uh, oh, and you're right. He meets uh, he meets him again when he's trying to get the chairs at first. Right, and so, he walks past him as an old lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah so Father yeah. Fyodor disguises himself as an old woman, and he's running past with a chair, and Vorobyaninov chases him, and they get in a fight. Fyodor and Bender uh, both go to the. Is it like the bureau? You know, it's the Soviet Union, so everything's got a bureau, and it's the bureau of household goods or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and 
Bender beats Fyodor in there and pretends to be an official. Right, And right. is talking to him and basically scares the piss out of him and then finally agrees to go and get the tracking information essentially for these chairs and tells him that they've gone to Siberia. And so Father Fyodor gets on a train to Siberia uh, and gets out of their hair temporarily. So, um, so Father Fyodor is temporarily on his way to Siberia, out of the way, and um, and then uh, Vorobyaninov and Bender track the uh, some of the remaining chairs to a theater company, and the director of the theater company is the actor who played yep. Roger Debris' boyfriend in The Producers, and he looks almost exactly yes. the same. So like, we don't know what this man looks like outside of over-the-top stage makeup. Right? Every time we see him in a movie, he's going to have like, a he, spirit gum beard. He actually looks like the, the Pokemon second-level evolution of, like, the character yes. from the first one. Because, like, his beard is even more curled. Like, the makeup's, like, slightly lighter, but, like, his face has, like, a lot more, like, And he's hair. got this, like, big hat and Cape yeah, and... yeah, he's got the big head in the gate, so he looks like even more of an imposing figure. He has one moment where he's like brushing his beard with this uh, with this brush, and then just like he has this one little snappy line that he says as he's looking in a, a little mirror, and then he like brushes his teeth with the brush real big, and he's just like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's that that was kind of a, a neat little uh, little moment. Yeah, you could tell there was supposed to be a sort of through line. Like, is that character that character? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, he would he would be very uh, he'd be very well preserved. Forty years later, he just looks exactly the same. I mean, you, you know, it's <laughs> probably relative. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so they they find that the chairs have come into the possession of this uh, cruise. Like like riverboat cruise theater. Yeah, company? that's what I was trying to figure out. Okay, yeah, because was he the director? Yeah, he's yeah. The director. Oh, see, he's still a musical theater. Maybe it's a sort of a Quentin Tarantino thing, you know, where yeah. there's like a relative all throughout. A yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and so they're on this boat trying to. They they there's a whole lot of convoluted scheming, and they end up on the boat. And there's some gags about uh, uh Rubianinov has... has to be an actor in the play, and if he's never. He, even you know he's never even been in an amateur play, and he completely gifts and. Well, doesn't he act like he says like, "Oh no, I'm actually going to be good at this." Yes, he says, "I've seen a play before." <laughs> yeah, and they have to pretend they're actors in the play to keep up the charade, so no one will catch wise to the scheme that they're that they're actors. But what happened to the other actors? Like they didn't even have like a scene where they beat them up and you know take their clothes. Yeah, it's you know? just sort of it conveniently the actor has gone missing. I mean, yeah. maybe we're supposed to intuit that he has beaten up the actor or bribed yeah. him to go away or something or maybe there was a cut scene yeah. um but either way he has to say the line uh for, for the stage play and the line is the workers are dissatisfied they intend to make revolution and he says an uprising of peasants and workers i've never heard of anything so absurd <laughs> yeah and it's the play is also very clearly soviet propaganda right just, right yeah. <laughs> like and there's a lot of that like little like things throughout there that are like References to it. I saw something online where someone was saying that this movie is Soviet propaganda, like in and of itself. And I was like, I don't know. Like, they I show really... like breadlines and stuff. Like, I don't think they're trying to yeah, the I best don't think light. it's trying to make the Soviet <laughs> Union look good. I mean, it's one of those things where you know, it's not making the Soviet Union look good. At the same time, it's not really making 
uh, you know, pre-Soviet Russia look good. That was one thing with like um, Anastasia, you know, the the animated movie Anastasia is mm. there's sort of this message in it, and I love Anastasia. Like it's you know, I'm a '90s kid. I love that movie, right, but. Right. There's, there's sort of a message in there that, like, everything was great before the Soviet Revolution. Yeah, you know. And everybody was just going to party. It was like, well, the Tsar's family was. not the, like not someone so much like was the starving, angry. <laughs> the starving peasants. Um, and it's it's funny. You have the, yeah, you do have that flashback with uh, a younger Vorobyaninov uh on his horse being all hoity-toity and he ended yeah, and treating the Mel Brooks uh, servant like crap and he's yeah. like slapping him around yeah and the two and he and the two women uh, are all speaking French oh yes and which, she says which was a thing that the Russian nobility would speak French oh to interesting yeah like cause, cause I, I was thinking about that I was like wait why are they speaking French yeah, cause they, he says uh, cause the the woman says like and remember about uh, like stay away from those gypsies, gypsies. remember ils sont voleurs and I was like it's like like they're thieves like oh my god yeah they, <laughs> it, it, it's a thing like in Uncle Vanya the Chekhov play in Uncle Vanya his mother I think uh, his name's you know Ivan uh, but his mother calls him Jean, you know, yeah, to, yeah. to be fancy. It was the, the, well, because that was a big thing with the, um, the Russian aristocracy, uh, and the czars specifically was, um, becoming sort of Frenchified as a way to reject it's It's complicated, but there was like uh, a, there was a Frenchification. Social... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's certainly I don't think Soviet propaganda. It's also not you know czarist propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so there's. You I, know. I mean, they so they are like Borobyanov is supposed to be an example of previous nobility, and he's kind of shown as a dastardly oh, character. Well, I yeah, I mean he's he's. I think fairly pathetic. Yeah, was, like uh, at the beginning of the movie, the mom says, "Like, you know, why should I leave you the money? All you did was have your uh, ho- buy your horses and have your parties mm-hmm. and have your women and all that sort of stuff." So this guy is like being shown as to be like a lazyabout who mm-hmm. only reason he went into a job is because like he, he was cut off or something like well, that. Well, and I think the first like one of the first things we hear from him is him worrying about who's going to take care of him since his mother. Yes, yes, she says that poor poor woman but who's gonna help me <laughs> yeah um so yeah. he's he's not exactly an, an admirable character yeah and, um, and in fact they kind of reminded me of the producers in that way in that like it's another it's another mel Brooks movie about like two kind of like despicable characters that you're not supposed to like off the jump you know what i mean like right, like you yeah. don't have a lot of movies like that these days like i feel like we're supposed to like a lot of characters in movies now mm-hmm. like but this one already has the setup of like no you don't have to like these guys you know yeah it is true because yeah even with the whole anti-hero trend it's like the characters are like oh, but he still saved the, like a kitten though well like. or even even <laughs> when the characters are bastards like um you know, like Walter White is an irredeemable bastard mm. but he's still written in such a way that people are like oh but he's cool you he's can badass, see yeah you can still you know? see the action hero that you want to be in him you know right yeah. and I think it takes a lot of guts to make a character who's just actually you know it's funny we've been watching Venture Brothers and <laughs> uh, yes. and I him on Venture Brothers yeah kind of reminds me of Doctor adventure <laughs> you're so right dr okay so it, it's interesting um so i was just listening to a podcast that's about uh venture brothers and as i was watching this movie um i was reminded of uh what, what they had said in the podcast they're talking about how like dr venture is the old like the greek original version uh meaning of the word idiot 
uh, in, in that, like, he's a very selfish person who goes against, like, how society is supposed to be or something like that uh, for his own selfish needs. And that, like, that's a bad thing to do mm-hmm. because, like, that works against society. Like, that's the original intention of it. And when you, like, see, like, a lot of what Venture's, like, characteristics are, it's just like, oh, my God. Like, it's comedic, of course, because that's what the show mm-hmm. is. But, like, when you really stand back and think about his character, it's like, yeah, you really, like, don't want to help anybody. You are so I mean, he, selfish. He makes weapons of mass destruction yeah. just to make <laughs> money and and, and yeah. when i like look at this character i was thinking like wow this guy really is like an idiot in that sense that he is so selfish the things that he does at certain points that it's just like oh my god like it's that sort of like you, you are being such an awful person just to get this like you could be nicer about this man there, there's no ticking clock you don't need you know right. <laughs> like right and you know and it's funny also because you see him at the beginning and he's you know, seems fairly well off. He's doing okay. He's wearing a nice suit. He's He looks like a gentleman. And by the end of it, he looks like a hobo. Oh, there's one and, point where he gets a, a bunch of, like, dust on him. And he yeah. has to, like, get it off. Like, oh, right, right, I'm a gentleman. Uh, I can't let them see me like and, that. You know, and, and the irony, of course, is that in the pursuit of wealth, he becomes more and more destitute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and... By the way, spoilers. Like, we're just going to spoil this. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as always, we're going to completely spoil <laughs> this. Don't be surprised. Don't be don't be shocked prized. All right, uh, Colonel Gentleman. Yes. Um, <laughs> don't be surprised, Derek. <laughs> Uh, that was an awful. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta work on that one. That sounded, that sounded bane. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was doing. I don't know uh, why I did that. Uh, um, look at me. So, so yeah, so they're having all these madcap hijinks. Uh, Father Fyodor, meanwhile, gets to Siberia, and there's this kind of funny side story where the engineer and his wife in Siberia have a set of chairs that look like the chairs. Okay, yeah. It's, it's like, it's like... Because that threw me off. I was like, wait, over 12 chairs get destroyed in this movie. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a coincidence. It, I mean, I think it's just meant to be a, a coincidence that they have chairs that look like the chairs in question but are not and so he gets in there and then is just like begging them for the chairs and threatening them and whining and yeah but it's in this over exaggerated way like this one point where he just like begs and like grovels at the woman's foot but then like goes underneath her where it's just like like almost a football move where it's just like goes underneath her and sweeps her up and like grabs her like shoe off of her and it's just like why would you even do this if you're graveling to someone? Like, it yeah, just... he's just acting like a complete terrorist. Um, yeah, and they they eventually get him out and you know refuse to to let him have the chairs. Uh, and then later, yeah, okay, <laughs> do they go? Okay, so they go to another place. They go to like wh- Yalta. I don't know. They Where go to some place in, in a tropical that looks right. like... So you can tell they went way far away they got, from where it, they were. I mean, and that's a pretty funny gag where it's you you, you see the, the couple from Siberia and they're enjoying cold borscht in this beautiful tropical setting and talking about, isn't it wonderful that we got transferred and it's so much nicer here? And then Father Fyodor just pops up out of nowhere being yeah, like, I'll pay you 105 rubles for the chair. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and basically like finally gets them to relent and sell him the chairs. Uh, and of course, when he destroys them, he doesn't find any jewels because there aren't any in those chairs. Those were not the chairs in question. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, okay, so how the heck does he happen to be near the the characters when the next couple of things happens? Wait. I think it's just, there's a lot of just coincidence. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, wait, because, okay, so, yeah, they happen by him 
like they're fighting over a chair, right? It, it, it's at a circus. They fight. Well, that doesn't that doesn't happen till later. Oh, oh, because, oh something so, happens in between. Okay. So cool. there's um a I, I guess like the stage manager or somebody who works for the theater company. Uh, it's established that he has a habit of stealing props and selling them. And, uh, oh, right, and right, yeah. they catch him doing this to, uh, at least one of the chairs and, um, or they catch him doing it to a samovar and then, yeah. uh, and then say, okay, we want to buy these chairs off of you. And, uh, and they need to, uh, get the money to buy the chairs from him. Rubles. And so, yeah. right. And so we have this moment that becomes important later where, uh, Vorobyaninov is sitting under a chat uh, under a statue of Dostoevsky, yeah. and Bender gets the idea because Dostoevsky had epilepsy to have Vorobyaninov fake epilepsy in order to get sympathy money. Yeah, and he, it, like you know, he does this very overly belabored like, look, ladies and gentlemen, like the great Dostoevsky, this man is uh, you know having uh, an attack. Uh, throw your coins in pity. Look down upon this man. But the funny thing is, in order to like convince him to do it, right? You know, at first he's like, "Hey, you, you know, you gotta, um, uh, you know, people are gonna take pity on you." And he tries to like, you know, convince him to do it. Like, this is the best way we can do it. We've only got so much time. You know, this is the, our only option. And uh, Vorobyanov like smacks him in the face first and says, "Like, there will never be a, a Vorobyanov that begs." You know, and Frank gets pissed off. He's just like. You parasite, parasite in a great, you know, pre homage to uh, the Bung Jung Ho film. <laughs> I get, did I get the name yeah, right? <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't parasite. know if you pronounced the name correctly. <laughs> go, go watch well, Parasite. And it's, and it's kind of this funny moment where it's like, you know, by some definitions, Bender is the parasite. You know, he's a habitual beggar. When we first see him, he's faking right. an amputation and a missing eye in order to get money. Mm -hmm. um, and yet. Uh, and yet, from a Soviet perspective, uh, the you know the aristocrats were the real parasites on society, and so it's kind of that social commentary. Yeah, as you see. <laughs> um, but they get in a fight over this, and then finally, uh, after getting punched in the gut, Vorobyaninov agrees to pretend to be epileptic. Yeah. And his attempt at rolling his eyes, I, I did find this kind of funny he's like bender says can you roll your eyes and vorobyaninov tries to roll his eyes and he's just kind of wiggling his head around it's just so like well like what is this <laughs> like that is is this what is this what that looks like because this is this doesn't look like a man who's sick this just looks like a guy who's just like yeah it's a, uh, it's a real, he does not at all look like he's having a seizure yeah, no. it doesn't look like epilepsy he's just wiggling on the ground and people come and throw money at him and so they get the money yeah it's just an awkward um, looking scene the no. guy the guy from the boat brings them two chairs although <laughs> there were three in question oh yes yeah uh so, so at this point this is there are four chairs left that they haven't broken open the one of them is still in Moscow. This guy has three. They say, okay, sell us the three chairs. He brings them two and says he sold the other one to a Finnish aerialist. They break, they buy the at two, a circus, right? Yeah. They buy the two chairs, break them open, no jewels. So they uh they get to the circus, and um, and Vorobyaninov actually 
catches the aerialist while he's up on the high wire yes. and then walks like, up there and just takes dad. the chair from him. Yeah, he literally, like, he's just so furious that he just, like, runs up, like, doesn't even think twice about the fact that he it's a high wire act. And he just, like, runs over, over the high wire like a freaking cartoon. But, like, you know. And, yeah, at this point, Vorobyanov really is just turning into Bugs Bunny. <laughs> yeah, like, um, he just Well, really more Daffy Duck. Yeah, yeah, but, Daffy yeah. Duck, yeah. Because he, he, he's, he's just, he's just, and he, but he moves at just like the slightly faster pace than well anyone would be moving on a high wire but just like a oh my god like you aren't concerned for your like safety at all because you just want this goddamn chair you know what i mean right and he just take he takes the chair from the aerialist who's dressed as a bear because it's russia <laughs> right and um and then father fyodor meanwhile he's just broken up in all these chairs that he paid 105 rubles for and there were no jewels in there he's suicidal he's sitting there praying god god please help me and immediately as he's praying sees Borobianov run by with a chair and he goes thank you and he yeah. runs after him and uh, and then at the same time uh at the same time Bender is running after him like you know hey you know that's I'm I'm in on this with you you're trying to you know you're trying to take this yeah, chair, yeah, yeah. and and so all three of them are at odds with each other now. Well, well, uh, Vorobyanov and Ostap start fighting o- over the chair, mm-hmm. and they leave it off to the side as they're you know pushing each other, and then and uh, then and then yeah, Fyodor comes by with his shepherd staff and, and like just picks ho- it up, hooks it up, and runs after them. <laughs> yeah, and then he clambers up a mountain. He, he somehow gets the fucking gumption to be able to run up a steep hill where somehow they can't follow him. Somehow Dom DeLuise, big ass Dom DeLuise well, can he's climb up, up a place and where he's the other there, I mean, you know, uh, uh, I mean, uh, I was the adrenaline. Say, adrenaline, thank yeah. you. Yeah, and he's up there saying God gave him the strength and dancing around and making fun of them. Yeah, and yeah. then, um, they, and then they realize that he's trapped up there, he can't get down, so they just walk away and I can't Well, they, they listen underneath uh, well, he's throwing rocks down, so they mm-hmm. run underneath uh, a little like passageway they can go into, and they're like, "Well, there's only one way to find out if, if you know, that chair has the jewels now." And then they just listen, and then he goes, "Oh Lord, you're so strict!" Right? <laughs> like, yeah, right. yeah. So they find out. Okay, so that the chair that was sold to the Finnish aerialist was not the one, and it has to be that last chair that is back in Moscow. And so they go on this epic. You know, there, there's a um, the so they say it's they're three thousand miles away from Moscow, and it is uh, and you know which would take about you know maybe a year or something to yeah. walk and uh, Why, like you might as well just get a job at this point. Yeah, <laughs> like, so, so they're walking, walking, walking. We have a big walking in many different types of weather yeah, and yeah. across many planes montage, and finally they're just apparently in the middle of nowhere walking along a railroad track. And it is near where, um, near the beginning of the movie, uh, Vorobyanov saw a man run off with his chair and then lost track of him. And uh, and they come across this beautiful uh, building on the side of the road, this oh, gorgeous yeah, little yeah. building, um, and they're dedicating a new... Um, uh, like a recreational house for right, railway right. workers, which actually, uh, I guess it's a little like the... Um, International Seaman's House, which, <laughs> but no, there's uh there's I, I'm not sure where the other locations are or if there are any. I know there's one in Savannah. Uh, it's an International Seaman's House, and it's basically just this house 
where if you're a sailor and you are in port there, you can go to this house and, you know, have a nice meal and play, uh, you know, play some music and relax. And, mm. um, and so it's something like this for the railway workers and they're, and they're about to serve a buffet lunch. And so Bender and Borobyanov run in to get food cause they're starving. Um, and they, uh, and they end up in this house in this beautiful room, just well appointed with all this fancy furniture, right, a bunch of, like, chess, and all these and and like gorgeous chess sets, chess tables, just row yeah. upon row of chess tables. And they spot the chair, and um, and they're about to just pounce on it, but a bunch of other people come in, so they say, okay, we're gonna come back after hours, and they do, and they open up the chair. And there are no jewels inside. And while Vorobyaninov is just throwing a complete temper tantrum, uh, one of the, the, I guess, night watchmen comes in and, and they find out that, the, um, that somebody working in the old, you know, run-down house had found these jewels mm -hmm. when he put his foot through the chair and use them to make this house for the railroad workers really right. nice and buy all this furniture right. and buy the food and buy the, the chess sets. And so... And, and I remember, like, as I saw that moment, like, yeah. at first I was having it, I remember, like, oh, that's really, like, sweet. Like, that's going towards to help these people. And, like, but then as soon as I have that thought, what if you don't know, just, like, goes into a fucking fit of rage and he's like, that was my diamond! Right, and it's, like, at that point, you're just laughing at him because it's, like... <laughs> Like, first of all, you know, again, he's just driven himself nuts chasing after this. Uh, and, you know, and it's like, you know what? I would rather it go to a yeah. nice recreational house yeah. for railway workers than just go to some asshole. Exactly. Do anything to earn it. But he decides <laughs> to, like, go off and take the back of the chair and just, like, destroy right, the so whole Right, so he just room. starts smashing. And he doesn't manage to completely destroy it, but he does start smashing furniture and things. And yeah, he, he knocks a whole bunch of chess tables over. Uh, shoves a police officer unconscious, mm -hmm. so yeah. he, he's and, on the lam. Yeah, so they run off, and we see them, you know, after they've gotten away, but there are police looking for them, and Bender says, look, you know, the cops are looking for a handsome young rogue with an old mm. man. I have to split up. I can't I can't deal with you. Um, and, they, and they have the big, you know, split up, and they walk away, and then, um, and then, uh, Vorobyaninov tosses the chair back, which he's been clinging to, into the air. And Bender hears a crash and turns around and sees Vorobyaninov twitching on the ground. And I was yes. not clear in whether Vorobyaninov had just decided to do this or if he'd been hit with the chair or what was happening. But essentially, Vorobyaninov is now on the ground twitching in a much more convincing fake epileptic seizure. And Bender comes and kind of looks at him for a little bit and then smiles and then starts yeah. going, ladies and gentlemen, an epileptic genius here. Give him your money yeah. so he can... And, and essentially, it's that, you know, beginning of a beautiful friendship walking off into the sunset, except that they're just scamming a bunch of people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the, you know, that's a, the funny sort of, like you know, uh, inversion of how you'd expect, like, the sort of story to go. And, and that's the sort of irreverence of it. Like, when I first saw that moment in the way it ends, where it's, like, you, it, like, ends of, like, a camera on top of the action showing the him in, in the middle of the circle doing the, like, uh, convulsions. Mm -hmm. And, like, as the music comes in, expect the... Da, 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 
you see the pan like the slowly panning up shot of like him like twitching out as they're tossing coins and i and as i saw that moment it was just so bizarre like as it was happening like in front of my eyes for the first time i was just like is this insensitive because like this this feels a little yeah. awkward it's <laughs> like this is being played for laughs but on like on one level it's like it feels insensitive towards like epileptic people but on another level it's like but it is about this pathetic person who you know was just rich his whole life like being forced to like you know get his just desserts by having to like beg as this like pathetic liar you know right and and yeah i mean i will say like caveat like i don't have epilepsy so if somebody who did have epilepsy was offended by that i certainly would not tell them they were wrong to be offended but uh, yeah i don't think the joke is not making fun of actual epileptic people it's making fun of you know this this liar and um you know, and the ridiculousness, and and I did think, and how much he has to debase himself, especially from earlier when he was like, "I'm this nobleman," and he slaps, you know, Bender saying, "I refuse to beg." And yeah, then, yeah. You know, it's and like, I, and I want to, you know, go back and talk really briefly about uh, Mel Brooks's character, the Ticon, the the servant, um, because it's weird. It's like the the kind of gag with the servant, other than him being very very Russian is that he just worships Borobyanov. Yeah, uh, that, even you know, though he clearly mistreats him. Right, well, it's this, you know, his old master, and he hasn't seen him in years, and when he sees him again, he's just instantly fawning on him, and, oh, you know, he was so good to me, he only beat me a little bit. And, yeah. Um, and it's, it's one of those weird things where it's kind of not clear what the joke is, mm. the, the, like, uh, that's basically a slave who has Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think again, like, you know, Mel Brooks is so good that this is easily the worst Mel Brooks movie I've ever seen. And right. yet it's still not terrible. Yeah. It's just kind of, and, and, and that speaks to how great he is as a filmmaker that his worst movie is just kind of, Nah, it doesn't live up to the other ones. And, yeah. and I think it's just because he was going after a genre that was very difficult to yeah, carry. It's, it's like something that's hard to bring to film in the first place because this mm -hmm. is like Russian Russian literature. Yeah, so like he chose a hard one to, yeah. to adapt into film just normally, yeah. <laughs> you know? But like, yeah, from that level of like, oh, I'm a witty guy who likes talking about intelligent stuff, but I like bringing some lowbrow humor to it, you know? Like, I appreciate that sort of, like, marriage mm -hmm. that he's trying to do. But, yeah, ultimately, yeah, this is... I, I see why this one didn't catch on as much. Yeah, it just doesn't... I mean, it frankly just doesn't have as many laughs. It just yeah. doesn't have as many... Even, even with the direction and the pacing aside, it just doesn't have as many good jokes written in as most of his other movies do. Yeah. So, you know what's a really random thing that I noticed, uh, like, that just, like, just caught my brain as I saw the ending? Because it, 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 the freeze frame ends on, like, like a cartoonification of what he looks like as he's, like, looking really silly, like, mm -hmm. spazzing out on the floor. And, like, so it pauses on, like, a cartoon of it as the music's playing, you know, da 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 da, -da. And my brain flashed to... I know you have not seen the movie Eight Crazy Nights, uh, the masterpiece by Adam Sandler, uh, the, the the Hanukkah uh, modern classic. I'm sure, uh, as, as time I'm sure will uh, will will uh, you know show. Um, but at the tail end of the movie, there's a very <laughs> awkward freaking scene. Um, the whole movie is Wait, just where, French where comedy. He's... 
where he's on the floor. Well, yeah, with the whitey character who's yeah. like, yeah, handicapped. It's like, yes. this is the happiest oh. seizure of my life. Yeah. That's so weird. I wonder if Adam Sandler took it. I was thinking because it kind of looks like it, except, like, you know, stripped of any sort of social commentary and it's just making because, fun of a handicapped person. Well, right, because Adam Sandler. Because Whitey actually does have epilepsy, so it's, yeah. it's making fun of somebody for having epilepsy in that case. Yeah. Oh, but the happy about it, and it's well animated, so isn't that the joke? Isn't that funny? Uh, and just, I just wanted to bring up that quick contrast. I just wanted to give, just give get any chance I can to, to spit on uh, the, the comedy of Adam Sandler and praise the comedy of Mel Brooks. Yeah. Even in, like, <laughs> even the worst uh, uh, Mel Brooks movie is better than the best Adam yes. Sandler movie. Is all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I will, I will <laughs> say I enjoyed Uncut Gems. I slept But that's not it. his movie, though. That's not that's his true, movie. That's true, he didn't direct it. He was good Don't in it, Don't give him though. that credit. He was good in it. Uh, yeah, I slept through a lot of it, though, only because I was watching it at, like, 3 in the morning in New York waiting for a bus. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think if you were a Mel Brooks completist, mm. it's not terrible i would say if you don't have anything better to do uh it's it's not available to stream on netflix or amazon or anywhere like we i had to watch it on youtube i don't know yeah. about you i found it on youtube yeah. um you know if you if you got nothing to do or you like you know you got some laundry to fold or something and mm. you pull it up on youtube and watch it it's not bad at all but i would say it's not the first mel brooks movie you should reach for yeah yeah uh yeah, yeah, like, not even in, like, the, the deeper movies. Like, as someone who knows the other Mel Brooks movies that, like, not everyone would know, like, now I'd still place this one lower than the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for sure. But still better than any Adam Sandler movie. So, <laughs> so that's what I'm giving that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this has been the Review a New Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, hit up the Patreon or the Kofi links in the link tree below if you want to support the show. And until next time, I'm DJ. I'm Evan. Oh, and wait, wait, wait. Happy Hanukkah to Alessandra and Mazel Tov on your recent nuptials. Yes. We're going to say that and then almost forgot, but I didn't let you. didn't let you. <laughs> and.